All right. Okay. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. All right. Well, glad to be with you guys today. I applaud you for braving the snow and making it out here this morning. It's good to be with you. Uh, This is like pretty exciting for me because typically when I get the chance to speak here on a Sunday morning, I get two shots at it. And so by 11 o'clock, I'm really rolling. So got to make sure we get this done right in one shot this morning. So I got to be on my game. Uh, My name is Matt. I'm the youth pastor here, uh, pastor of student ministries, which means I oversee our student ministry programming both at Gettysburg Pike and also at Good Hope Road uh, for students in grades 6 to 12. And we have a lot of great uh, leaders that are leading students in the different ministries on each campus. Very thankful for them. And I love working in student ministry. Uh, it's been something I've done for over a decade now and, and just love it. Uh, one of the things that we just wrapped up only about a month ago now is we had our fall retreat, which this year we actually changed it to be called Ignite uh, is the name of our fall retreat. And the reason we changed the name is because we actually invited a few other churches to participate in that with us. So we had this really amazing retreat, had over 160 people there. Uh, It was crazy, crazy, awesome, and just crazy in general, too. Uh, We had a great time and really saw a lot of just amazing things that God did in the students while we were there. So many of you were praying for us, uh, and some of you also even financially supported different students that were having a tough time getting there. So thank you so much for your support in that. We had an amazing time. Uh, We have something coming up soon that's called the New Year's Eve Eve Party Bus. We have rented out a school bus that we have deemed our New Year's Eve Eve party bus. And on December 30th, we are going to have an event from 6 p.m. until a little bit after midnight so that we can count down to New Year's Eve. Now, I know you've heard of people counting down to New Year's Day. And yeah, that's a party. But if you've never been a part of a New Year's Eve Eve party, then you really don't know what a party is. So it's going to be amazing. What we've started doing is we are currently in the 12 days of party bus. And what the 12 days of party bus is, it's the 12 days leading up to Christmas. We're revealing one new piece of information about what we are going to do that night on the New Year's Eve Eve party bus. So a lot of students signed up completely blind, not knowing what's going to happen. They just know they're going to get on a bus at six and they're going to come back to the church around 1230. So we're slowly revealing different pieces. So I thought I would just share day one and day two with you real quickly here at the start of the day or start of the morning. Day number one, Mechanicsburg drops a wrench, Dillsburg drops a pickle, Harrisburg drops a strawberry, but only DSM will drop an Alex this New Year's Eve Eve. Those of you that know Alex Peffer, he will be the one getting dropped. Day number two, (laughs) for a short while we considered it being me, and then we figured, wait, can we even lift me in order for me to be dropped? We're not certain that could happen. But Alex is just a slight fellow, so it'll work for him. Day number two, could it be a DSM event without some Little Caesars snackage? As you enter the party bus on New Year's Eve Eve, you will be handed a slice or two of pizza and a soda of choice as you settle in for the first leg of our mysterious journey. So if you are a student and you haven't signed up yet, or you know a student that would have a good time hanging out on a party bus with a bunch of other students his age or her age, then I would encourage you to connect them to Daybreak Student Ministries. We'd love to have them there for that event. And I, I mean, I told you before, I, I love student ministry. And one of the reasons that I love student ministry has a lot to do with the direction of the message this morning. I love student ministry because I love to be able to tell students that feel hopeless 
that there is hope. Because when you go through that high school, really middle school and high school journey, there are a lot of peaks and a lot of valleys. There are times where you feel great and there's times where you're really frustrated and you really feel hopeless. And so I love being there in those moments where students feel hopeless so that I can offer them hope. And so that's what I want. I want to offer that to you guys today, that no matter how difficult your current situation is, if it may seem a little bit bleak to you, or maybe you're a little bit frustrated or a little bit depressed about this holiday season because it's not coming together the way you expected it to, I want to offer to you that there is a small glimmer of hope. There is always a shred of hope if we look for it. Now, I've suffered through many rough seasons being a D.C. area sports fan. I pretty much go back to this well every time I speak in big church, is that I talk on some level about this, the teams that I root for. And I, I'm currently in a rough season with the Redskins. I mean, they are awful. And I, I share that with you because I want sympathy, but I know that I will only get mockery. But there's a lot of teams that I cheer for that are, you know, all of my teams are from down in that area. They didn't have a D.C. baseball team when I was growing up, so I'm an Orioles fan. And my son Dylan, of the teams that I root for, the Orioles are the one that he's like really excited about. And he likes to go watch baseball games. So I took him down to an Orioles game this year. And we were watching the game and we were, we were having a good time. But, you know, as any, at the time he was five years old, as any five-year-old would do, eventually he starts getting a little restless and by that point, it was the sixth inning. The Orioles were down 12 to 4. And I made a decision that in all my years of going to games for all of my different teams, I made a decision that I've never made before, and that is to get up and leave the game early. And so we got up, and as we're walking out, we noticed that they had this, like, play area for kids. It was like, a, you know, swings and slides and everything else. It's right inside the park at Camden Yards. So I was like, well, we'll stop here. I'll let him play on the slides for a little bit. So as he's playing on the slides... I'm just sort of listening because they have the broadcast of the game. The audio is coming in through the speakers there just near the playground. And I'm just sort of listening as I continue to stand there. The Orioles are down 12-4. And I hear in the beginning of the eighth inning, one of the guys from the Orioles, Nate McLeod, he hits a triple to start off the eighth. And that was like enough for me. That was a single triple. No runs have been scored yet. And I thought, there's hope. There's hope. I got to get my son back over there. And so I'm like begging my son to leave the play area and come back with me to watch this awful game. So I finally convinced him. By the time I get over there, we've already scored three ones, three runs. So we've already closed the deficit significantly. We've now got seven to 12. And I get over there with my son, and I'm holding him. And we actually went to the standing room only section. If you've been to Camden Yards, there's a standing room only. It's out in right field, and a lot of home runs go that way. So we're over there, and this guy, Chris Dickerson, is up to bat. There's two people on base. And he jacks one, and it's just coming straight. It goes literally right over our heads. And Dylan's pointing at the ball as it's going over. Landed right on Utah Street. And so we're going crazy. The place is going nuts. It was 12 to 10. And the Orioles still lost. But (laughs) (laughs) the point is, it only took that triple, just that triple by Nate McLeod. And all of a sudden, I thought, wait, there's hope. There's a little glimmer of hope. There's a possibility here that something significant might happen. And sometimes that's all we need, right? Is to be reminded that there is a glimmer of hope because we've all felt hopeless before. I know there's not a person in this room that has avoided that. We've felt hopeless. We have that much in common. We've lived with a sickness or we've endured a hurtful relationship or maybe we've fallen to the same temptation over and over and over again until we finally just get to the point where we say, I'm just giving up the fight. I just can't do it. There's no hope 
for me now. This is just the way it is, and I have to live with it. We get to that place where we believe the lie that there is no hope. But the truth is this. Faith in Jesus brings with it a confident hope and an expectation of a new future, a new possibility for you when you put your faith in him. So if you feel hopeless, or you know someone who feels hopeless, or you once knew a guy that knew a guy that was hopeless, then this message is for you today. There is hope. Now, before we jump in, let me give you a little bit of background on Luke. He's the author of this book of the Bible that we're going to be focusing on today. Luke was a detail guy, and so he was a guy that researched all of the details before he began to write his book. And he even talks about that here in the beginning of Luke, chapter 1, verses 3 to 4. He says, having carefully investigated all these accounts from the beginning, I have decided to write a careful summary for you to reassure you of the truth that all of you were the truth of all you were taught. So Jesus was God. He was convinced of this. Luke was convinced that Jesus was God and that he came to earth to bring hope that God would rescue ordinary people. Luke, this researcher, felt like it was important that he take account of what Jesus did so that his followers wouldn't doubt what they had already learned. It was like this reminder of you've experienced it. And now here's the reminder that it's all true, that Jesus was God in the flesh and life from that point forward would never be the same. And the story that we look at today is actually one of how shepherds, who really were ordinary people that were kind of on the fringe of the society in that day, were the first that were invited to experience God coming to earth in the most humble and miraculous way. So in your outlines today, we've approached this just a little bit differently, that instead of having blanks for you to fill in where I'm going to tell you what to put into the blank, the only blanks or the only way that you will respond in your outline today will be with your own thoughts. You were kind of, you'll kind of fill in the blanks on your own for how you think God might be speaking to you. Have you ever felt like you were the person on the fringe? I know that I've felt that way before. This is probably unexpected or maybe would be a surprise to some of you that like for me, even though I love being up front and I like have this personality that enjoys being in front of a crowd, when I get into a social surrounding where I don't know the people around me, I actually can become kind of a little bit of an introvert. Like I get nervous and I don't, you know, don't know how to interact, don't necessarily go out of my way. Um, you know, to talk to the people around me because I feel like, well, what are they going to think about me? Are they going to like me? Is it, you know, what do I talk about? What do I joke about? So a couple years ago, this is a a number of years back before we had any kids, uh, my wife dragged me along to a work party of hers that she had to go to at her work. And so we, we went to the work party and these were nice people. They were real nice people, but I didn't know a single person there. And when I don't know a single person there, I feel like I can't like let my real personality out. And so I just kind of sit there and talk and just respond to questions if people are asking me questions. And so for years since then, the people at Laurie's work that find out that I'm a pastor, they're like, he's a pastor? He's so shy. How can he do that? You know, like, but in that moment, I remember even now, like I remember the emotions that I felt in that moment, feeling like I'm the person on the fringe right now. Like none of these people know me. I don't fit in. When is this night going to be over? And maybe you can relate to that. Like, I don't know if it's the same thing that it's a social setting like that, where there's a particular group of people that you just don't feel comfortable. You, you feel like you're on the fringe. But maybe it's in the context of your family. You feel like most of your family is wired one way, but then you personally just feel like that's not the way I'm wired. I'm on the fringe of my family. Or maybe in your workplace, that's where it's true for you, is that there's a whole bunch of people at your work that think a certain way and act a certain way, and you feel like I'm the outsider. I'm the one that doesn't fit in. 
And maybe even for you, you might feel that way at daybreak. I pray that you don't. I pray that you're developing healthy relationships with other believers that that support you and love you. But the reality is, is that there probably are a few of you here this morning that to this point, you haven't developed those kinds of strong relationships at daybreak where you actually might feel like this morning, you're on the fringe right here in this service right now. Maybe you feel like you're on the fringe. And if that's you today, I want you to hold on to that thought and I want to jump into this story of the shepherds because I think we're going to find out that they were actually people that were on the fringe too. So here's some of the evidence that they were on the fringe. They kind of lived this common life as outsiders and they were in this relatively disrespected profession. Not by everybody. It wasn't disrespected by everybody, but especially like religious leaders, that was like kind of like, uh, that's not, we're not going to allow them the same privileges as our, you know, the normal worshipers that come to worship in our temple. So they were given limited access to God by the ruling religious authority at that time. And because they were shepherds, they were most often with sheep. They weren't around other people. So they were probably most often more comfortable with the sheep than they were with the community. So I'm sure that they probably felt like in some ways they were living on the fringe of their community. Now, does any of that ring true for you? I mean, maybe your life feels just sort of common and uninteresting. Or maybe you feel disrespected in your workplace or in your family. Maybe you feel excluded or you feel left behind or you feel like you've been forgotten. Now take just a few moments to process that and in your outline, you'll see that there's an opportunity here for you to respond where it says, sometimes I feel like I'm on the fringe and then there's a bunch of checkboxes there. If any of those checkboxes apply to you, then go ahead and check them off this morning. You could check off every one of those boxes if you need to, but you could check off, I feel like I'm on the fringe with my family or with my spouse. I feel like I'm on the fringe in my job or in my career. I feel like that with my friends. I feel like that when it comes to my finances, that everybody else is set with their finances and I'm struggling with mine. You feel like that way relationally with God. You look around and you think, oh, everybody's got such a healthy relationship with God and here I am struggling. I feel like I'm on the fringe. I'm just, I'm just the one that's not getting it. Or if none of those apply to you, but you do feel like you're on the fringe, maybe you just check off in my present circumstance and then just write that down, write it out. Here's how I feel like I'm on the fringe. So if that's you, if you checked off any of those boxes or if you wrote something in at the bottom, this is the good news is that Luke had become convinced that life with Jesus brought confident hope. He, was, he, he believed absolutely that the story of Jesus was that he was absolutely our savior and that he restores our hope. In a sense, we have hope because Jesus is our hope. And that's really what Luke is trying to say throughout his gospel is that we have hope because our hope has arrived in the form of Jesus, God in the flesh. Let's read from Luke together. This is Luke chapter two, verses eight through 15. And this is out of the New International Version. It's in your outlines. It'll also be up on the screens. And it says this, that there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. I think I would be too. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem 
and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So these shepherds, the people that were on the fringe of their society, were invited to be firsthand witnesses to the newborn king. Now, I heard a phrase one time, and I'm not necessarily saying this, this is true. Actually, I'm saying it's not. It's definitely not all the time true. But I've heard it said before that God speaks loudest to those that are too dense to hear. All right? So I'm not saying that's right all the time. But I think when you look at this story of the shepherds, okay, everybody else in this story, you take Mary, Joseph, Zechariah, like all of these people that have been given the message about the king's arrival, every time it's one angel that shows up and shares the message. So how hard-headed are these shepherds that it has to be an entire company of angels in order for them to get the message? Like God interrupts everything in order to make sure, shepherds, listen to what I'm telling you. The Savior is born, and it's in Bethlehem today. You can go and find him. Now, here's what I think is really cool about that. This is, I, I think this is really cool because quite often when God needs to speak to me, he has to make it loud and clear in order for me to hear it. So when I see this happening with these shepherds, I think, okay, there's other people like me that God actually has to really, really get my attention in order for me to hear what he's trying to say. I can remember a time, I told this story to my students last week in our high school program. I can remember a time when I was, I was actually in uh, high school, and my mom was talking to me, and I was playing Nintendo. This is original Nintendo. I was playing Super Mario Brothers, and I was just, I was really excited because I thought I might be able to beat it this time. And so I'm trying to, and I'm playing, I'm on the final level, and she's talking to me, and I know that she's talking to me, but it's just not registering. It's just sort of like hitting me in the head and falling off here and hitting me in the head and falling off. And so she's talking, and I'm going, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. And finally she stops talking, and I'm like, yes, I can finish my game. And so I, I finish up the game, and I actually beat the game. It was the first time I had beat Super Mario Brothers. I was really excited. And so I was like, Mom, I beat Super Mario Brothers, which my mom wouldn't have been excited about anyway. But I really wanted her to share in my revelry. So I said, Mom, I beat Super Mario Brothers. And she didn't come running into the room. And I'm like, what? Where's Mom? So I start walking around the house, and I walk through the living room, and I walk through the kitchen, and I go upstairs, and I go out into the garage, and then I start to get a little nervous. Like, why isn't my mom here? Like, where did my mom go? I became convinced quite quickly that somehow Jesus had returned and had left me behind. I was like outside of my house looking up and down the street. There's no one anywhere. I went back in the house. We had no cell phones at that time. So I pick up the phone. I call my grandma. I call my Aunt Betty. I'm calling everybody and nobody's picking up their phone. So then I called my friend who I knew didn't go to church and he answered. And I was like, no! So by the time my mom gets home, I'm a mess. I'm like crying. I'm like, mom, you're here. How could you leave me without saying something? And you can probably guess where this is going. She was like, Matthew, I told you I was going to the grocery store, but you were too busy playing your video game to listen. I completely missed out on the message because I was so focused on what I was doing that I couldn't hear what my mom was trying to say to me. And I wonder if maybe those shepherds on that day have the same issue that I do, that if they're not intently focused on what that person is saying to them, they might completely miss it. And so God, in his favor, showed up that day and said, I'm going to send this message with a whole company of angels so that you can hear it and you can respond to this message about my son. 
Is it possible that this morning, this moment, is one of those moments for you? I mean, God's not using a company of angels right now, but think about this. God might be using every element of this morning in order to grab your attention. You might be here this morning thinking, this message is for me. I need hope. I came in this morning hurting. I came in this morning struggling, and I need hope. And here's the amazing thing. Is that this actually could be just for you. I hope it's not. I mean, I hope that God is speaking to a number of you around this room. And a number of you are feeling like, yeah, I need to experience hope today. But the reality is that you might be here this morning saying this message is for me. And it is exclusively only for you in this moment. That's a pretty amazing thought. That even if God had to put this whole thing together and orchestrate all of this so that you could hear the message of hope that he has for you, that's an incredible thought. I mean, he's used the atmosphere, the people you're with, the worship, the message, everything that's happened so far this morning to bring you to this moment that you could respond to him. It's even possible that the snow came last night to delay us so that we couldn't have a 9 a.m. service so that you could get yourself out of bed and be here for the 11 o'clock one. That's possible. God is a God that is able to orchestrate incredible moments, and we just have to be ready to receive the message that he has for us. It's incredible to think about, isn't it? I want to take just a moment here in the middle of the message this morning to give you a chance to respond to God in case you feel like, yeah, that's me. God is speaking to me this morning that I need hope, and he's ready to give it to me. So let's pray together before we move on to the rest of the message. God, I love you so much. And I thank you for the times that you have had to really scream at me in order to get my attention. Uh, that, Lord, there has been times where you have used every, um, every part of my surrounding and my circumstance to bring me to a moment where I could slow down enough and I could pay attention to you enough that you could actually speak a message to me that I needed to hear. And Lord, if there are people in this room, I am hoping and I am praying that there are many, many people in this room this morning that come into this building today saying, I need a dose of hope. I just need a glimmer of hope. I need to be reminded that Jesus is my hope. I pray, God, that you'd meet them in this moment, that they would invite you into their lives. Lord, if if it's a first time for them, that they would be open to what you have to lead them into, that they would open their hearts to you uh, so you could forgive them, so you could make them new. Oh, Lord, if they're returning to you, God, I pray that they would be reminded this morning that there is so much that they have to be thankful for, and there is a great future that they have that they can be hopeful for as well. Uh, Lord, we love you, and we thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. It really is amazing what a little hope can do. I mean, you see the response of the shepherds. You know, they quickly, they're like, all right, we're out of here. We're going to see this baby. Uh, Faith in our confident king, faith in Jesus, instills this confident hope so that we as people are looking forward to what God has next for us. I love what happens next in the story. Is he, once they had received this message, they did. They went quickly off to see Jesus. They didn't take their time. They ran. They said, we're getting there. We're going to go see Jesus. And as a matter of fact, the Bible never addresses this. I've often wondered, what what did they do with the sheep? Right? 
It says they went off, and then later in the story, it says they returned to their flocks. So were they just like, all right, we're out of here, sheep. You're on your own. These poor sheep, they were probably terrified. They just saw thousands of angels in the sky. They were probably scared sheepless. (laughs) I don't know, but I feel for the sheep, you know. But they take off and they run to town. They're like, all right, we're getting there. And this was not normal behavior for a shepherd. A shepherd was committed to their flock, but they took off. Now, the funny thing here is that, yes, that's not normal behavior for a shepherd. But you know what? It is normal behavior for somebody that's encountered the hope that Jesus Christ can give. When they heard the message of hope that Jesus was there, that he had arrived, their immediate response was to run to see him. And that's for us too. I mean, when we encounter Jesus' hope in a real way, when we understand it, when we are listening, we recognize that he has hope for us, that there is a new tomorrow for us because of his sacrifice for us. We run to him. We want to get to him. We go directly to Jesus. We hurry to find him right away. And if you think about it in the the context of this story with the shepherds, it really would have made sense for them to go find somebody else first, right? If you hear the message that Jesus, the person they've been waiting for all of these years, God in the flesh, was arriving on the scene, it would make sense that they would say, oh, well, I'm going to go tell my priest, and I'm going to go tell my mom and dad and my brothers and sisters, and we're all going to go and see Jesus. No, that's not what they did. They ran to Jesus. Nothing else was on their mind, but we are quickly going to see the king. You see, because when we receive the message of hope, then... We run to Jesus, and once we've experienced Jesus in an intimate way, then and only then are we ready to go and share what he's done in our lives with somebody else. Let's take a look at the shepherd's next move according to Luke. This is the next part of our outline this morning, is that Jesus brings confident hope to people on the fringe to experience new possibilities. Luke 2, 16 to 20 says, they hurried off. Note the sense of urgency. That's why I keep saying that they ran off. It says they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, the New Living Translation says, returned to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Now that they had encountered Christ firsthand, their next move was to tell others about what they had seen. So it's not that they wouldn't have been willing to share the message before, but it has to be done in that order. We experience Jesus first, and then we tell others about what we've experienced. They returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen. Now, one of the things I love about this is that the shepherds didn't abandon their old lives. You know, they didn't just say, okay, now we're just going to follow Jesus and watch him grow up. They went back to their sheep, and I'm sure their sheep were very thankful for that. Their shepherds returned. They went back to their sheep. But as they returned, what were they doing? They were glorifying and praising God because everything they had been told, they saw it firsthand. The angels told them to go and see this child, and they had seen it firsthand. So they came back rejoicing, praising God for the work that he had done. Now, to be clear, what they saw when they met Jesus wasn't, you know, they they saw him as a baby. He was just a baby. He hadn't, you know, hadn't grown up yet. They met him as a baby. And so he was just cooing and just doing his thing that a baby does. You know, like that's when they saw him. They didn't see Jesus grown up and ministering to thousands of people. They didn't see him feed 5,000 people. They didn't see him do many miracles. They didn't see him turn water into wine. 
all they saw was a glimmer of hope. They had heard the message that Christ had arrived and they saw that baby and that was enough that they were praising God and they were ready to share that message with somebody else. When we encounter Jesus, the king, firsthand, we are compelled to share our story with somebody else. Our hopelessness is replaced by hope that things are going to be different, that things are going to change. God is going to do something new. The hope that he places within us gives birth to peace and joy like we've never known before. And once you've experienced, once you've experienced it, it's completely natural to want to share it with somebody else. The Apostle Paul, who's a guy in the Bible that didn't even believe anything about Jesus initially, actually was persecuting Christians. He finally did discover Jesus. And when he did, he became one of the most convinced followers of Christ that we have recorded. He puts it this way. He says in Romans 15, 13, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope. Underline those two words, confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. See, Paul's not inviting you to a wishful thinking kind of hope. Like, oh, I hope things are better than they are now. Kind of this like, oh, well, maybe they will. Maybe they won't. I hope it works out. He's not calling us to that kind of hope. He's calling us to confident hope, not in ourselves or in our surroundings or in our ability to change things or make them better, but confident hope in Christ. That because he came and he lived a perfect life and died a sacrificial death, And because he still cares intimately about each one of us, that we can have a hope for a preferred future that God is working towards. Confident hope helps us understand that God is working so that we can trust him with every next step. And confident hope tells us that the story didn't end in the manger, that Jesus did grow up, that it didn't even end in his death. But after his death, he came back to life. And because of Jesus' life and his perfect death, we understand that sin can be defeated and that people that are on the fringe can can return to him. And we know that the power of the Holy Spirit can work miracles in the lives of those who find friendship with God. And so when we hear that story of how he's working in others, it reminds us that if it can happen for them, it can happen for me. It reminds us, it proves to us that, that the change here is the journey and it's, it's one worth going on. And it inspires us to invite God to write his new possibilities into our lives. I mean, what is your new possibility? Where is the place that you need to trust God this morning? I mean, maybe it refers back to that first exercise we did together. There's places where you feel like I'm on the fringe and I know I need God to move in this situation. You're feeling hopeless. What would it look like for you to find a confident hope in your current situation? Not this flimsy, fake, I can do it kind of hope, but a confident hope that only comes when we have encountered the confident king. I want you to take just a moment or two here to consider here in your program, God, this second exercise in the message outlined today. What do you need to be hopeful about today? And you can check off any of these boxes that, as they apply to you. But basically what we're, trying to put, what we're trying to do here is this idea that one of these might be your prayer this morning, or multiple of them might be your prayer this morning. Your prayer might be, Jesus, bring me hope for new possibilities with my family or with my spouse. Jesus, bring me hope for new possibilities in my job or my career. Bring me new hope for new possibilities with, excuse me, with my friends. Jesus, bring me hope for new possibilities in my relationship with you. Or the last one just gives you the opportunity to fill in the blank. Jesus, bring me hope for new possibilities in the area of my whatever it might be for you. 
You know, really what it boils down to is this, that when you choose to put your faith in Jesus, you'll find confident hope and a new excitement for what he is going to do next. We'll stop seeing our current situation as this will never change. And instead, we start to see it as I can't wait to see what God is going to do. I'm going to pray, and as I pray, I want, to, I want you guys to just consider what we've worked through this morning. I want you to look back at those two exercises where you said, I'm feeling like I'm on the fringe here, and then also I want you to take a look at that second exercise of which of these prayers would apply to me. I want to pray for you that God brings you to a good place this morning where you would say, I found confident hope in him. I know that there are new possibilities for what he wants to do in my life. Let's go ahead and pray together. Lord, I love you, and I thank you for every person here this morning. I thank you, Lord, that you have drawn us into this moment in order to have an intimate moment with you. That, Lord, today, this can be a moment where we can take a significant step forward when it comes to the hope that we've found in you. God, I can confess to you that I have been without hope. There have been times in my life where I've felt hopeless and I have needed you to do that miraculous work of hope in me. And I know, Lord, that you can do it. So whatever that glimmer is, whatever that small thing is this morning for each one of these people that you need to do in order to remind them that they can be hopeful in you, I pray, God, that you would do it this morning. I trust you for that and I'm excited about the the way that you will move. We're excited for our new possibilities in you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. On Christ the solid rock I stand All other ground is sinking sand All other ground is sinking sand Would you stand and join us in this declaration that we're going to stand on our solid rock? That's Jesus. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. When darkness, when darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. And every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground. All other ground is sinking sand. 
with his covenant, his blood, support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he that is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. The ground is sinking sand. All right, sing this out. He shall come with trumpet sound. Oh, may I then in him be found. Praise his righteousness alone. Faultless to stand before the throne. Faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. All right, just the voices. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Man, that's good stuff. You guys can have a seat again, just briefly. Go ahead and grab your response cards. I'm going to give you the opportunity to respond this morning. Man, I love that song as a follow-up to that message. That's just awesome. Now, on Christ, the solid rock I stand. We do have hope because of him. I want to give you just a couple ways that you can respond. If you're overwhelmed with something, if you just feel like you need a dose of hope, and yes, you heard the message this morning, but you just need somebody to come alongside of you and support you and pray with you, uh, then I would encourage you to write down on your card today what you're overwhelmed with. I also would encourage you in just a moment when I finish praying, If you would like to, you can actually head out the doors in the back here and turn left and head down here on the right side of that hallway. There are people there that want to pray with you and want to support you. I would encourage you to do that. Or maybe you've given up up hope on somebody or something, like someone that's connected to you in some way. Maybe that's something that you want to respond this morning like, I've given up hope on this person, but I really feel like God's challenging me today that I need to to allow him to restore hope in them so so that God can do his work in them. Or... Final thing would just be, you know that there's something that you need to change on your own. There's an area for you that you had given up hope. Oh, it just can't change. It's just me. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to change. It's just the way it is. That maybe this morning that God has given you hope that there can be a different next step for you. Uh, are you ready this morning to give up on your expectations and confidently accept God's grace and his work in your life? I think we all are ready for some new hope, Right? It feels good to have hope. So this week, choose to have confident hope by recalling all that Jesus has done for you and decide not to accept the worst, 
but to accept what comes and watch closely for how God might be using that situation to open up new possibilities in your relationship with him. Let's go ahead and pray. And as I pray, if you want to head out the back, if you'd like to pray with one of the prayer partners, please feel free. Lord, I love you. I thank you for this opportunity to be here this morning. And we celebrate the hope that we have found in you. Lord, I know there's many in this building that have experienced life change because of the hope that they have found in you. So thank you, Lord, that we can rejoice in that together today. And for those that have yet to find that hope, I pray, God, today is the day that they take their first step close to you so that you can give them confident hope for the new possibilities that you have for them. We love you, God. It's in your name we pray. Amen.